This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts from around the world. And today it is Jeff Halley in Singapore. Good morning from London, Jeff. And good morning from us down here in Asia. And as we speak, we just had some fairly important data in for the UK, the latest inflation figures, and I believe they are above expectations. Yes, indeed. The uh, year-on-year headline inflation has risen by 2.1% for May. Uh, That's above 1.8% expected. The month-on-month, which is the numbers that I really prefer these days because they're less distorted by the base effects of the world being shut down at this time last year. So you get these huge year-on-year increases. But that's still coming substantially above uh, expectations as well. The month-on-month rose 0.6% as opposed to 0.3% expected within the market. And when we look at the producer price uh, index, uh, both the output measure and uh, the input measure have come in just a little bit under, but year on year they've risen above expectations. So a, a little bit of a mixed bag there. Retail price index has come in roughly uh, on expectations as well. I think the underlying theme here is that the inflationary pressures are still making their way or making their presence felt through uh, the UK economic uh, system as they are everywhere around the world. But it's really nothing to get terrified about so so to speak it looks uh you know fairly much expected and 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 fairly benign i'm not expecting sterling to react markedly to it and it certainly won't be enough to move the needle for the bank of england in in the meetings ahead now talking of meetings ahead tonight we've got the latest from the fmoc what are you expecting I think this will be the most unchanged, unchanged meeting we will see in recent times. Uh, the FA, well, the Federal Reserve, the various governors have been very vocal that uh, inflation is transitory and not sticky, as we've discussed in previous uh, podcasts. And I expect them to st- uh, stick, so to speak, to that mantra very, very closely, both with the rate decision, which will be unchanged, as will the QE program. And also in Jerome Powell, the chairman's uh, press conference afterwards as well. I do believe that uh, either the Jackson Hole Central Bank Symposium in August or the September uh, FOMC meeting will be the most likely times they start mentioning the dreaded taper word. But I think they'll start subtly telegraphing that well before. So um, that should be uh, fairly uh, supportive for equity markets, which uh, have been correcting a little bit around the world overnight ahead of the meeting. Uh, and oddly, it will probably still be supportive for the US dollar. Why is the dollar so strong at the moment, Jeff? Very, very good question, this, and one that I've been scratching my head uh, around uh, for a while, and I know that I'm not alone out there uh, in that respect, because even as these inflation measures uh, keep uh, rising higher in the US, bond yields keep falling, uh, and but the US dollar has remained strong, and it's rallied this week. And I think we need to look back and see just how much demand there is internationally for US bonds. Now, I was reading some interesting data today that uh, I think that the US has issued about $1.4 trillion US dollars worth of bonds this year, um, but they've actually only bought about $385 billion in quantitative easing, or the Federal Reserve has. So there's probably about a trillion dollars out there that has been bought by investors, and a lot of those will be international investors. And when we look at the TICS data, the US TICS data that came out last night, now that data is a measure of 
uh, foreign investor uh, net. It's the net balance between what they've bought and what they've sold in the United States uh, for investment purposes uh, over the previous month. Now, uh, last month it came in at um, 147 billion US, and for April it came in at 100. And one billion US dollars. So that means that net net international investors bought a hundred and something billion dollars more uh, of US securities and investments than they sold. I think the answer is partly there in that there's huge demand for US bonds from international investors to obviously buy those bonds. They've got to buy US dollars, and I suspect that that is why the US dollar is not moving lower in sympathy with lower bond yields. We saw some falls in US retail numbers yesterday. Is this down to the stimulus support suddenly fading? Is it beginning to run out of steam, do you think? I think there's a couple of things going on here. One is that we saw a raft of reopenings of economies within the United States over the uh, last few months. That led to a consumption spike as everybody got out of the house and could finally go out to restaurants and bars and buy discretionary consumer things and do crazy things like go to a shop and such like and such like. So we saw a spike in spending which drove that number to to almost record highs on a monthly basis. Plus we've seen the, the stimulus packages, the unemployment benefits and such like being uh, well perceived as being quite generous and that has given more money for people to spend as well. Now a lot of those unemployment benefits on a statewide basis are starting to be wound down quite aggressively uh, now and I think what's happened is we saw a very high number uh, in last month and thus this month's number was always going to be a little bit of a disappointment but it's still a good number underlyingly. And in other news yesterday, I suppose symbolically it was a big deal. The UK and Australia signing a trade deal. That is the first deal to be built from scratch since the UK left the EU. So an important step towards the UK joining a wider Asia-Pacific free trade agreement, don't you think? Yes, definitely. I mean, obviously, Britain has a strong incentive to sign as many trade deals uh, as they can at at the moment now that... uh, Brexit has uh, apparently run its course. This is a stepping stone, I believe, to joining a much wider trade agreement that was signed into existence last year across all of Asia, ex-China, called the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, RCEP for short, because it's quite a mouthful to pronounce. Uh, Now, that's a deal that's going to break down tariff barriers and supply chain barriers between just about all of Asia, including Australia and New Zealand, uh, over the next 10 years. And I believe that Britain itself has aspirations to uh, join that agreement, but also they can effectively start doing that via having direct uh, trade agreements uh, with with key uh, nations out here in the Asia and Pacific. So I think it's part of a bigger plan. I don't think it's necessarily accretive to each side straight away. And we can see that because sterling hasn't really reacted. Obviously, the farmers in the UK are a bit perturbed because they're worried about uh, being flooded with cheap Australian agricultural products. I guess the positive side is that Australian wine will become uh, import duty free. That is something to be positive about. But I think this is a a valuable stepping stone and it's good to get this one across the line. Do you think Australia has had a better deal out of this? On the face of it, and initially I do believe so. uh, I mean, both Britain and Australia have a a large uh, bilateral trade, but 
I believe that uh, Australia will do better out of this, uh, certainly initially than than the UK will. But that you know you have to remember these these agreements are multi-decade agreements, so it tends to balance out over time. So I'm not too concerned. I must say, though, that the Australians are very good at negotiating trade deals. I mean, they did one with uh, Indonesia a couple of years ago, and that one very much was tilted in the favour of Australia. Uh, so, you know, they've got pretty good form on, on this front. It's also that the UK was more willing to compromise just because they wanted to get a proper deal done and possibly a blueprint for others in the future so the Australians have done well really because uh, they've managed to get more concessions when perhaps in other times they may not have. Yes absolutely and I mean if they were dealing with the European Union then you know this wouldn't have well it wouldn't have actually occurred in that respect but they certainly wouldn't have perhaps found such a favourable partner at the moment but you're right I mean the UK does have incentives a strong incentive to get some decent trade deals across the line with some major trading partners in the world and I think the next big one will be they'll be aiming for is India because they're running it alone now for obvious reasons so they need to get some wins on the board uh, and use that as a template for uh, other agreements in the future. Okay Jeff thanks very much for joining us this morning have a good day. Lovely to be here thanks very much. The Oanda Podcast.